Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 7. The question is, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? And then we answer, no, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Question, what is true faith? Answer, true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. Question, what then must a Christian believe? Answer, all that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. What are these articles? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We will respond to the sermon with the singing from Psalm 27, the stanzas 1, 4, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, boys and girls. In question and answer 20, we are told that those are saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. And so in order to be saved, you need true faith. You must believe. That's all you have to do. Just believe and you will be saved. That sounds all very simple and straightforward, doesn't it? But is it? For this statement makes us ask many questions. For example, you may say, how do I know that I am grafted into the vine and that I am part of the elect? And how do I know that my faith is good enough so that I will be saved? There are times that I doubt. Another question is, how do I know what true faith is? Oh, sure, that is answered in the next question and answer, but do we know that that is the right answer? Not everyone has the same definition of faith. How then do we know that that's the right answer? Now what about the content of my faith? It says in answer 22 that we must believe all that is promised us in the gospel. And then it gives a summary of my faith. How do I know that? How do I know that what we believe in this church is what God wants us to believe? 
Well, these are some difficult questions. And that's what we will deal with this afternoon. As I preach to you, God's word as summarized under the following theme, the Lord commands us to believe the truth of the gospel. And then the catechism tells us three important things about the believer. First of all, who the believer is. Secondly, how he believes. And thirdly, what he believes. And so the Lord commands us to believe the truth of the gospel. First, and who the believer is. Faith, it says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, is a gift from God. Faith is not something you can give to yourself. No, God has to give that to you. No one else can. Your parents can't give that to you. Your wife can't. Your husband can't. Your elder can't. Your minister cannot give faith to you either. And so how then does this work? How must we understand these things? For we know that some people have faith and others do not have faith. Is it just a matter of luck that God gives it to the one and not to the other? That's the way it appears. It seems as if you must passively wait for God to give you that faith. But is that really true? We just read together the parable of the wedding banquet where the Lord Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And you will note that many are invited to that banquet, but they refused to come. Those who were initially invited made all kinds of different excuses. The one was too busy because he had just bought a field. Another was too busy because he had just bought five yoke of oxen and he wanted to try them out. Yet another one had other things as, on, on his mind as well, for he just got married. Obviously, none of these people were interested. They all came with flimsy excuses. Why do you think that is? Well, they did not see any need to go to the banquet. All of these people were very satisfied with the way that their lives were going. They were busy with their earthly lives. They had what their hearts desired. They didn't need anything else. And they were also doing everything that they wanted to be doing. These people were all quite well established. They had food and drink and roofs over their heads and clothing. They lived in the lap of luxury. They had their family and friends all around them. Why should they go to the king's banquet? Their bellies were full. Nothing was to be gained by it. They did not believe that going to the banquet would be of any benefit to them. And so none of them went. They had no interest. It was extremely selfish for those citizens to do what they did. For the king deserved to be honored. During those days, a king was essential to the well-being of the citizens. He was the head of government, and everything was decided through him. He is the one who would distribute the wealth and protect the people with his armies. A good and wise king looked after every aspect of the well-being of his citizens. And now by refusing to go to the king's banquet, 
those well-cared-for citizens did not acknowledge the good relationship that existed between the king and them. And so it was a shame that they did not accept the invitation. For in so doing, they took the king and everything that he did for granted. Now then, says the Lord Jesus, that is also the way it is with respect to the kingdom of heaven. Many people are invited, but only a few come. God the Father comes to us with his invitation in many ways. He reveals himself in the Bible and in his wonderful creation as the creator of all things and as the one who sustains and governs all things. Furthermore, God's word is preached all over the world as well. He comes to everyone who wants to hear the good news that through faith you can be included always and forever in his kingdom. He goes to the highways and byways to beckon you in. He sends out his missionaries and his people into the world to tell the people about him. And that is why we also have home mission and evangelism. And what is more, God also daily provides for man with his goodness. He gives them the air to breathe and food to eat and many other things to enjoy. And so man, for that reason, has to give thanks to him for these gifts. They must honor him as God, as the king, as the ruler. And it also means that when God invites us to a banquet, that we too may not refuse. What is that banquet, you may ask? Well, that banquet refers to the fellowship with God and his people. It refers to the fact that we as God's covenant people come together to glorify his name. And that we do that together as church. That is what we do when we get together every Sunday to listen to the preaching and to send up our prayers, to give alms, and to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Every single man and every single woman here on earth is required to honor God in this way. And they must all acknowledge that without God, they have no protection. Without God, they have no food or drink or anything at all. Without God, they have nothing. For all things come from his fatherly hands. Now you may say, how can all the people know about all this? How would anybody know that God exists and that he must give thanks to him? Oh, sure, there's the preaching and all that, but that doesn't reach them. How else? What are the ways? Well, listen to what it says, for example, in Romans 1, verse 20 and 21. It says there, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so let's not be wiser than God. God says man has no excuse. He can know that I exist. I come down to him, I show him that I exist. 
And the Catechism says that only true believers accept all his benefits. A true believer, brothers and sisters, is someone who accepts the benefits of Christ. As you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was just introduced in the previous Lord's Day, in Lord's Day 5, or in Lord's Day 6, rather. Why was he introduced there? Well, the Catechism first showed that man had grievously sinned against God. In paradise, man had everything that he needed. It was a great big banquet. It was a wonderful existence that God gave to man, but then man squandered it all. He threw it all away. And the only way that man could once again be put into such a favorable position would be if the relationship between God and man would be restored. And so what did the Lord God do? Well, at that time, he promised a redeemer. And he promised that right after the fall into sin, God is merciful. In order to remind man of that wonderful promise, he continues to give good gifts to man. Although creation has now been spoiled, nevertheless, man may continue to enjoy his creation. God continues to provide for man. And God does this in order to remind man of his goodness. And then in the end, as he promised, he also sent his son, the Redeemer. But what does the majority of men still do? They still reject him. They reject the fact that it is only possible through him that they can be recipients of God's goodness. They do not receive the gift of life and everything that goes with it in thankfulness, to their creator and provider. They also reject the fact that only through him can the relationship between God and man be restored. Why does man do that? Why does he not want to concede God's existence and his right to be thanked and honored? And that is because man is blind and stubborn by nature. He does not want to acknowledge that he needs God. He does not want to acknowledge that he needs to honor him. Man wants to be a God unto himself. And in this way, brothers and sisters, the sin of Adam and Eve continues today. That is also what the Lord Jesus refers to in his parable of the banquet. And those who reject the invitation ultimately reject the king as ruler over them. No doubt the Lord Jesus has in mind here, especially the Pharisees. They especially were satisfied with their own lives. In their way of thinking, they do not need a Savior. Ultimately, they do not think that they need God, for as far as they're concerned, their works are good enough to earn themselves a place with God. God ought to be glad that he has them as citizens. For look at all the other sinners... We as Pharisees are so much better than the others. At least that's what they thought. They thought that they had earned a respectable place in the kingdom of God. But that's not the way it is. It is only those who know themselves to be poor and needy who can sit down at the banquet of the Lord God. It is only those who acknowledge that they depend on God for everything who are welcome in God's kingdom. 
The congregation, do not think that it is so that the Lord God does not want us to, that Lord God wants us to passively sit back, waiting for us to, waiting for Him to give us faith. Ultimately, what is faith? Faith is the sure knowledge, as the Catechism says, that God exists. It is the sure knowledge that God has made Himself known in nature and that He has fully revealed himself in his word. And that is faith. God comes to you with his word and promises, and he tells you in so many ways that he does exist, and that he loves those who acknowledge him. But you have to respond to God's love, as we also saw this morning. Every time there is a baptism, God also proclaims his wonderful promises upon that child. He says to that child that he or she belongs to him. That's also when he said to you when you were baptized. Oh sure, at that time you did not understand God's promises. But ever since your baptism, you have been told about it. You have been told about it by your parents, and by your teachers, by the minister. They did not come with their own word, but with God's word. Now, that's God's gift to you. But now you have to use that gift. You have to use that gift as soon as you begin to understand. Children already have to learn to use that gift of faith. And as you grow older, you must also put that faith into action. You must show in your life that you trust in the Lord your God and that you believe in him. Do not listen to Satan's voice when he says to you that God does not exist. When he says to you that what we believe here in this church is not the truth, that there are many other truths. No, God comes to you with the benefits that Christ has acquired for you. You may not say no to them. You must, as the catechism says, accept those benefits. In other words, you must exercise the faith that God has given to you. And God shows you how you must exercise that faith. You come to the second point. In the parable of the banquet, we notice that when those who were originally invited did not king, the king then says to his servants that he must go out into the streets and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And they do come. Why do you suppose these people come? They come, no doubt, because they were hungry and needy. And they are delighted at their good fortune. Some of them cannot even believe their ears. And therefore they have to be urged to come. They have to be told that the invitation is seriously meant. The king means them no harm. On the contrary, he has their welfare in mind. He would be delighted to have them sit around his banquet table. The Lord Jesus wants to teach us with this that in God's kingdom, only those will accept the invitation of the king of God, the father, who live in miserable circumstances and who are also aware of it. Only such people realize that they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Only a poor person is someone who looks for his needs to be supplied. 
and someone who is lame or crippled is eager to be healed. That is the way it is in God's kingdom. But you have to be aware of your wretchedness. You have to be aware of your need for healing. You have to be aware of your poverty. The Pharisees, they were so blind that they did not see any of this. And that is the way it is for all those who do not realize their own sins and who do not realize that they need to be redeemed body and soul from their present condition. If you do not realize how much you are in need to be in the presence of the king, then you won't seek his presence either. And so those who want to share in God's gifts must humble themselves before him. In the parable, we also read that when there is still room in the banquet hall, the king urges the servants to compel more and more of them to come. And at that point, many more do come as well. That's the way it is in God's kingdom. Some people are afraid to seek out the Lord their God. They do not think that they are worthy. They think that their sins are too great. There are too many things happening in their lives that would preclude them from being included in God's kingdom. But you see, that is why the king all the more urges his servants to go out into the streets to gather those poor and wretched people to come in. And those kind of people have to be encouraged to come in. In the words of the Catechism, faith is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. His salvation is especially for those who realize how sinful they are. It is especially for those who struggle daily with their sins. God wants you to come. He wants you to come to Him. But you must believe Him. You must believe that He forgives you your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And is it so hard to believe in Him? Look at how he provides for you each day. Look at how he gives you everything that you need. Look at how he look at how he looks after his creation. How he looks after you. Also think about the wonderful promises that he makes to you and to your children. God never goes back on those promises. How do you think those poor people who have been brought in from the streets are feeling as they sit there around that banquet table? No doubt as they enjoy the king's goodness, they realize how blessed they are to have someone like him who cares for them as he does and loves them. As they sit around that table, that banquet table, then their faith is confirmed. They can see and experience with all their senses that the king means what he says. They feel wonderful and complete. They feel that they belong 
and they are amazed that they who are regarded as nobodies in the world may now sit around the king's table. They may be in the presence of greatness, of opulence, of power and splendor. They may belong to that world which up to now they could only have dreamed about. How much more is that not the case for you and for me? We enjoy not only the material gifts from God, but also the spiritual gifts. We know from God's word that he forgives us our sins and that he promises us eternal blessed life with him. He promises that he will rule with us forever and ever. We may enjoy God's wonderful riches and goodness into eternity. That's what God tells you. And you must believe that, brothers and sisters. For you see, your salvation depends on it. You may not turn away from the Lord your God. You may not ignore it. Believe. And God gives you that faith. He also makes it easy for you to believe. Just open your eyes and your ears to the truth. Once you realize what God has done for you and will do for you, then you cannot just sit back passively and take it all in. You cannot just sit back and let the king, the Lord your God, lavish his gifts upon you and then pretend that he does not exist. No, you must also exercise your faith. You must also act in accordance with that faith. And you must not... You must also come regularly to this church to hear God's word. For here you receive the food and drink of life. And here you must also share your gift with your fellow believers. Your spiritual gift, your talents, also your financial gifts. Share. Show that you belong. Show that you are thankful to God. But you may say, how do you know? That what is proclaimed here in this church is God's word. That brings us to the final point. The catechism says that we must believe all that is promised us in the gospel. What does the gospel promise? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, read your Bible. There are a lot of things in the Bible. There are many stories in there. But the ultimate message in the Bible is very clear. And so open your hearts to the truth. The Lord promises that all those who humble themselves before him will be saved. And that is the message of the Bible. The Bible says that all those who come before him with empty hands and look to him to supply them with everything that they need, that those people will be saved. And you know what? The same thing is said in our confessions. And that is the truth the Reformed Confessions especially want to emphasize. They want to say that to the Arminians, and they want to say that to all those who are similarly inclined. Salvation is through no merit of your own. It is all God's grace. God promises eternal life to those who humble themselves before him. And he promises that not only to believers, but also to their seed, to their children. 
And that is the promise that the Lord God made to Abraham, and he said to him in Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for, gener- for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And in the New Testament, in Acts 2, verse 39, it says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's what we believe here in this church. That's also what we teach. That's also how we summarize God's word in the confessions. But there is more. Here in this church, we also warn those who do not exercise their faith that they will be excluded from God's kingdom. For that is also what God's word teaches, as we also saw in the parable. Those people who think that they have to come with something of their own, such as their own goodness, or their own good works, or their own faith even, or their own worthiness for whatever reason, that if they persist in such a belief and carry it to its conclusion, that then they will be excluded from God's kingdom. They are wearing the wrong cloak. They are not wearing the cloak of humility. And you see, again, that is what the Reformed faith is about, beloved. And that is the content of our faith. What do you believe? All that God promises in the gospel. Nothing less, nothing more. And that's enough. Through faith you are saved. True faith is that faith that acknowledges God alone as the creator and sustainer of the universe. And salvation is for those who have that simple childlike faith and who exercise that faith. And so, congregation, go out this week and in the weeks and in the months to come and exercise that faith that God has given you. Enjoy God's banquet now and forever. Have a party. Amen.